Aloha. Hey, this is Travis. Just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Here at Shorebrook, we're coming up to four years of ministry this July. Four years ago, a few families came out to Hawaii to plant this church, and by God's grace, we've seen transformation, church growth, people being baptized, and that's because of the partnership of the local church and those of you who have financially partnered with us. If you would feel led to support financially the work of the gospel of God being spread here in Kona and beyond, in addition to your tithes to your local church, you can go and give online at shorebreakchurch.com. But we just want you to continue to pray for us, continue to pray that the gospel would be spread and that people would come to know Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Continue to share it with other people. Grace and peace be with you. Hey, good to be with you today. Hopefully you've made your way to the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't, there's no hope for you. It's okay. Um, it's just, we've given you plenty of time. Um, we've seen here in Mark that, that Jesus isn't, isn't eating. And it's, and it's not because he's fasting, and it's not because he doesn't want to eat. It's because he doesn't have time to eat. People are flocking to him. Thousands upon thousands of people want to have an encounter with the Savior, want to have an encounter with Jesus. They want to experience the forgiveness of sins like some have experienced. They want to experience miraculous healing like thousands upon thousands of people have experienced. And so people from hundreds of miles even are coming to gather just to have an encounter with this Jesus. They want to be him, with him. They want to see him. They want to have an encounter with him. And the escalation of his popularity and controversy around Jesus actually reveals what his family really thinks about him. What is his, What do his family, what do they think about Jesus? Well, they say about Jesus, you know, he's out of his mind. Like any good person in their family would. They would just tell, it's not an insult when it comes from a family member. It's truth, right? <laughs> but for Jesus... Family, they just, they insult him by saying, yeah, he's out of his mind. We need to go get him, you know, food. We need to get him out of this. Controversies are increasing too much because the religious people, the elites, they want him killed. So, you know, I'm sure Mary, being the good mother that she is, wants to put some, you know, meat on Jesus' bones and get him out of danger and bring him to a safe place to come home, Jesus, come home. It'll be better if you come Home. And so it's in the midst of this family drama, we come to the end of Mark's gospel, or the gospel of Mark chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, if you would stand now for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to pick it up in verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. He answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? He looked about at those who sat around him. He said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father God, may you bless the reading of your word. We thank 
you that you reveal to us even the awkward stories in your life. Stories that aren't just story for story's sake, but stories that are meant to shape us, to change us, to challenge us, to conform us into the image of your son, Jesus. Father God, would you send your Holy Spirit to chisel away all that does not belong in our lives. Would you do a work in us afresh this morning for we acknowledge that we do not want to walk out of this place the same that we walked in. We need to have an encounter with you and may we encounter you because the scriptures are opened. Your spirit is alive, Jesus. You've risen from death. May that reality speak to us. May your word become alive and illuminate the areas of our heart that need to be touched by the gospel. Lord Jesus, help me to faithfully preach your word and give us all ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We know that the rejects, rejections of Jesus, they've come in many different They've come in different colors. Some paint Jesus to be a lunatic. Others paint Jesus to be a liar. But whether it's a lunatic or a liar, it's all rejection. Whether we have a warm-hearted rejection of Jesus or whether even people have a cold-hearted rejection of Jesus... The Gospel of Mark, this chap the chapter 3 specifically, has not left us to be neutral when it comes to Jesus. You cannot be neutral when it comes to Jesus. You're going to be forced to reckon with Jesus. Like, who is Jesus to, to you? Who do you make Jesus out to be? Liar, lunatic, or Lord, but you can't be indifferent toward Jesus. We know that, right? R the religious people, they had a cold-hearted rejection of Jesus. They're calloused. Hearts had a hatred toward him so much so that they, they actually want Jesus dead. And then you have Jesus' family. No, they did not have a calloused, cold-hearted rejection of Jesus, but they had a warm-hearted rejection of Jesus. After all, he's our brother. He's my son. It's, I, I was there. We, I nursed him. We changed his diaper. We were there from the beginning. We saw him grow up. We care about him but we still think he's out of his mind. That's Jesus' family. Whether it's a warm-hearted rejection of Jesus, though, or a cold-hearted rejection of Jesus, rejection is still rejection. And so after rebuking those religious elite people who had a calculated assault to attack the nature and the character of Jesus. Jesus is declaring himself to be true. He's declaring himself to be sent from God and the religious people have none of it and so they're trying to assault his nature and his character so they don't have to be held accountable to him. He is a demon. Jesus turns and rebukes them, warns them that they could potentially be entering into the sin of the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They deny the beauty of the gospel that has been revealed to, his, to them. 
After that rebuke, we see Jesus do something here that's almost unthinkable. He then turns after rebuking the religious. He then turns to his family and he harshly rebukes his own family. Why? Why is Jesus rebuking his own family? Because warm-hearted rejection is still rejection. And his mother and his brothers came, verse 31. Standing outside, isn't that interesting? There's thousands gathered. The family is standing outside. They're not part of the inner circle at this point, even just visually, which is a picture of a reality. They're outside, standing outside. They sent to him and called him, which means they probably found one of Jesus' disciples or they found someone who has a connection with Jesus. Hey, can you go tell Jesus? Can you pass a message on to Jesus? And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, this messenger or these people said, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. I wonder if Jesus heard his own family say this. We don't know. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? <laughs> At first glance, you would almost think Jesus is done with his family. <laughs> oh, that was so six months ago. My family, that was so one year ago. Definitely past them. I've, I, I've grown into, moved on to bigger and better things. I've kind of outgrown my need for my family. Who, who's my family at this point? I, I, don't re, I don't really need them, right? And at first glance, that's what it, it almost looks like, that he's written them off. After all, we are left with nothing but shock after reading this story, right? I mean, if, in fact, if you're not in shock at the statement Jesus makes here, then I think we have an properly understood the realities of what's being communicated here. Here's the picture. Here's the scene. Jesus' family travels hundreds of miles. We don't, well, we don't know where they, actually exactly where they traveled from. They could have been in Jerusalem for a feast. We, we don't know all the details surrounding it, but they, they traveled a long enough distance to come to be concerned about Jesus. Hey, Jesus, would you send someone to go get Jesus? We need to talk to him. We need to get him out of this situation to pull him away from this. Tell him his family's here. And Jesus says, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Like, I wonder what, what Mary's emotionally going through at this point. I wonder what Jesus, I wonder what his half-brothers are thinking. I wonder what James, is going through James' mind. Yeah, he is out of his mind, isn't he? I want us to be clear here, though it may seem like Jesus is over his family, Jesus does not hate families, just so you know. In fact, I want to take a moment here, uh, some time in the Word to, to, to prove to you that God is not out against families, that, that Jesus is not anti-family. In fact, family was part of God's original design. It was his idea it wasn't like man came up with this idea, oh, I'm going to create a family, and that's what I'm going to call it, family. And it, no. It was the result of God's grace, God revealing his plan to us. In fact, 
we see that at the beginning of creation. You know the story of creation. There was nothing, yet there was God. And God takes nothing and creates something out of nothing. He creates, he fills the void with earth. He puts water and land and trees and animals. And then in creation, he looks at all that he created and he said it was, it was good. What God created was good. What God created is good. And then God creates man, and even in creating man, it's good. But the first thing that's not good in all creation is that God looks at man, and man is lonely. Man doesn't have companionship. Man doesn't have family. He doesn't have community. And he says, it's not good that man is alone. So what does God do? He's going to make community for him. He, he, he creates Eve, and, and Eve becomes Adam's wife, and the two become one flesh, right? They become family. One family, two members. So God creates family for Adam. God gives Adam a wife. The two become one flesh, and then God commands them in Genesis 1.28. God blesses them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, of which all the men say amen, right? And you guys are so holy, you men. You guys are just, I'm gonna hang out with you guys. Okay. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. And then later in Genesis 9, this, this, this command is repeated to Noah and Noah's sons where God says to Noah and his sons, hey, be fruitful and multiply. You have a family and grow your families and have those families growing families. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply your families. Grow your families. So God has the idea of family. Then God tells those families to grow their families, to multiply their families. And then God establishes how these families are to multiply and what their flourishing looks like, how they do life with one another. In Exodus chapter 20, God tells children to obey and honor their parents. We are not to covet Man is not to covet another man's wife. We should not covet what we cannot have. Even in the New Testament, we are told that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We see that wives are called to respect their husbands. And in Ephesians, we actually see this playing out. In Ephesians, we see this. That not only are the, the pages of, of the scriptures themselves, the pages that we have here that we read, are, these are not only inspired by God, but the cadence of importance of which they were written. Guys, they're also inspired by God. And so we, in Ephesians, you have, you, what you see here is first you, the concentric circles. You guys know them, our, our walks with God. Then, then after our walks with God, if you're married, your relationship with your spouse. And then if you have children, after that is your relationship with your children. Then after your children, it's work and then among other things. And we have these concentric circles where we see that family is God's creative idea and design. We didn't come up with it. God did. In fact, even the incarnation of Jesus, think about this, of all the ways Jesus could have revealed himself he chose to reveal himself in human skin through a family. An awkward family, nonetheless, but a family he chose to reveal himself through. 
to prove to you that Jesus is not anti-family, even though it might seem like he's anti-family here at the end of Mark 3. And the most agonizing moments on the cross. Jesus has railroad spikes, the equivalent of that size, driven through his wrists and his feet, a crown placed upon his head that's made of thorns crushed into his skull. His back lashed open, suffocating to death from asphyxiation, from hanging on the cross, yet he expends his energy and takes from one of his statements on the cross, he looks at John and he says, John, take care of my mother. That even in a moments of worst agony, Jesus did not forget his mother. Guys, Jesus is not anti-family. So then why? Why when Jesus' family travels this long distance, wants to come and, and take care of Jesus, give him a meal, pull him out of danger, why then does Jesus ask them or say this shocking statement in front of everyone, who are my mother and my brothers? Because Jesus knows what his family thinks of him. I mean, Jesus grew up with them. Jesus knows that his brothers were no doubt probably jealous and angry of him. They don't believe he's the Messiah. I mean, can you imagine being born and raised with Jesus? Mary, would you just be perfectly obedient like your brother Jesus? I'm like, what does that do to you? Like, he always takes out the trash. And James, you never take out the trash like when you're asked to. And there's, there's got to be resentment there. There's got to be frustration. They don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, at least yet. In fact, it was prophesied in Psalm 69, verse 7 and 8. Psalm about Jesus, which says, For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. And that prophecy is fulfilled here in this story, and it's affirmed even in John 7, 5, where it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. What do you think that does to Jesus? Which all makes sense now within the, when you understand the family gossip circle. Jesus probably knew they were talking trash on him, whether he knew that at this point or not, we're, we don't know, but it makes sense now why they're saying he's out of his mind. Oh, Jesus. Here he goes again. So this intense rebuke that comes from Jesus comes by a question. Who are my mother and my brothers? What does this reveal to us? Never should the bloodlines of our own family become more important than the Messiah. Never should the bloodlines of our own family and relatives become more important than the Messiah. We love our family. We should honor our family. We should f serve our family. But listen, we must not worship our family. We don't worship family. We worship Jesus. 
Think about this. There are desperate people there. Imagine you were there and, and you have your spouse or you have your child or, or yourself. You, you've carried yourself there to have an encounter with Jesus. Maybe you're believing on Jesus. You, you need to be healed. And then comes along Jesus' family and, and they just want to take Jesus away. And Jesus is like, but don't you know I'm about my father's business? Don't you know I'm doing what God has sent me to do? I did not come for the well. I came for the sick and Jesus is forgiving sins. Jesus is healing thousands. Jesus is preaching and declaring the gospel and yet family wants to intervene to stop all of that who are my brother brothers and my mother it kind of makes sense when you understand why the messiah came to seek and save the lost and they want to stop it he's out of his mind Not even his own brothers believe in him. And for Mary and her brothers, bloodlines were more important than the mission of the Messiah. Their own kin became more important than the Christ. So when Jesus says in verse 33, who are my mother, who are my brothers, what Jesus is really saying to you and to me here is, hey, who's my family? Who is my true family? family. Jewish culture and even our culture here in the islands are very similar. Both of our cultures value family. They value ohana. In fact, if you were a Jew, you did everything with your family. If Pops was a carpenter, You were a carpenter. If he was in taxes, you did taxes. Whatever dad did, you picked up his trade as a Jewish man and you did what your father did and then your son would do what you do and so on and so on and so on. Even in the first year of marriage, did you know that the husband and wife would live in in the house with the parents while while the husband built his home during that year and then at the end of that first year, then they would move into their new home? I mean, they did life with one another. They valued family very much, which is very similar to our culture. And so I think what this story brings to us, what the relevancy of this story in even our daily life, along with their daily life, is it brings a balance of God's ultimate intention for family. It brings a balance to what family is and isn't. Because, you know, culturally, we have imbalances when it comes to family, right? Okay. In our culture... Some people are out to destroy the family. Like, you turn on Netflix. It's like the, this show is rated like four plus. Four years and up. And in a, f- a show for four years and up, there are innuendos made and, and there are mockings that happen in the show to tear down family. Right? I mean, if there's a pet involved, like the pet is the savior of the family and the mom and dad are stupid, Right? Like the pet's always smarter than the dad. What's up with that? Or the mom even. So you have shows that mock culturally. You have families that are torn apart. Um, Ohanas are torn down from the inside out. And some of that is because of family. Families cause that damage to families. I'm not trying to guilt you here at all. There's grace, but, but, but... Some who have been deeply wounded by families have then turned on families because the very thing that wounded them now becomes the enemy. My wife and I, we, we, our second home is Costco. We go to Costco. We see some of you at Costco. And 
we've actually have even sensed this idea that families aren't, aren't welcomed by, by everyone. We've had, we've had people come up and, and they, they, they tell us, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. So you know you can stop that, like to having children. What one person said to us, um, do, you, do you know what causes that? And so I, being the Christian that I am, I was like, no, could you please tell me what causes children to be born? I, could you elaborate for me on that? But see, culturally, again, it, some, a lot of times some people can fall into the destruction. And then there's the, the other aspect. It's a tragic when we destroy families, but then it's also tragic when families worship. When we look to our children for our purpose and hope. Or when we turn to our spouse and we expect our spouse to satisfy us. To, we expect our spouse to deliver us. I've done it, you guys. I've made an idol out of my wife and when I idolize my wife, I crush my wife. Looking to her only what Jesus can give to me. Or we can make our family our identity. If I may make up a new theological term here, it's family idolatry. <laughs> Where we idolize our family, and Christians do it all the time. In fact, if you go in other places of the world, they look at Western culture and like, no man, those guys they they kind of idolize family a little bit, right? We, we, we get so comfortable where we're at, we don't even realize that that mingled with worship of Jesus is worship with family, and it's idolatry. It's family idolatry. But Jesus said, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. So here's what I, here's what I think this, this story brings a balance to, that between the cultural sin of destroying families and between the cultural sin of worshiping family is Jesus, is the gospel. What your family needs, what my family needs, what we need as a church, Ohana, the most is the gospel. Not loving family or not hating families. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is not our family. And Jesus is to be our supreme love, even above our spouse, even above our children, even above our parents. So who then is the authentic ohana of Jesus? Who is in the true circle of Jesus' family? I'm, I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to let Jesus answer that. Look at, look at verse 34, guys. And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God he is my brother, sister, and mother. Jesus here is he was with his disciples. And he looks at those who are circled around him in this moment. And Jesus' fame, they're standing on the outside. What's Jesus going to say? Jesus, your family is here. Who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looks to his 12, who are probably circled around him. These are my mother, brothers, and sisters. They have received me. They have done the will of God. Whoever does the will of God is my authentic ohana. That's what Jesus says. 
for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Where other people have warmly rejected me, or other people have coldly rejected me, lunatic or liar, those who I am the Lord of their life and who do my will because I am the Lord of their life, that is my authentic ohana. That is who is in my family. That is my true family. But Jesus, they're not your blood. But Jesus, they're not even in the same race as you. But Jesus, we've been with you from the beginning. They are not even related to you in any way. You're right. But they're my family. And what Jesus has done here is Jesus, he has adopted them as his own. Jesus, he's adopted them. Related? No, but now, yes. John chapter 1, but he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor will of the flesh, nor the will of man. How were they born? God. They were born of God. Jesus has adopted the disciples in as his own family. So Jesus has adopted us as, as his disciples into his own family. Different race, uh, different backgrounds, different stories, all of us yet uniquely part of the authentic ohana of Jesus. Those who believe and who Jesus is, they receive the gospel and they do the will of God. And in this adoption, guys, this is the beauty of adoption. We were once fatherless. Now God becomes our father. And because God has become our father, that means we are his child. And when God is our father and we are his child, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters, yo, dysfunctional for the glory of God. Amen? And what this does is this brings us a joy. And so out of joy, we do the will of God. It's not, the commandments are not burdensome any longer, but they, we see them as God calling us to life. We love his commands. In this story of Jesus' family, I want you guys to please clearly hear me on this. It's not about disowning your own family. That's not what's happening here. It's not about disowning your own family, but recognizing true family. Yes, you may have a family, but through Jesus, your family is far much larger than you may realize. You could say it's our Ohana Hanai. Ohana Hanai. When newcomers came to the islands, Kanaka Maoli received these newcomers who had aloha and they were received and if you gave aloha you received aloha and and what the locals did is they received these people as their own different race I mean, completely different skin color, even different language, yet they received them and, and they modeled this idea of what ohana is that is to say that it's not necessarily blood that makes us family. There's something greater that makes us family. And what happens is these newcomers who came to the islands were adopted. They became Hanai. They were adopted by the locals. And that's, 
a beautiful picture of the gospel. Realize it or not. We're in and through the gospel. Jesus embraces all of us who are outsiders because of sin. And we become the adopted children of God. We become the Hanai of God because through Jesus dying on the cross, he purchased the people for himself. Where God becomes our father, we become his children. And we become brothers and sisters in the Lord. So do you, I hope you and I see and we realize, guys, our family ties go beyond the blood of our own kin and our own race because of the blood of Jesus. We are all related by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' true family, Jesus' authentic ohana is the redeemed church bought by his own blood. And it's really interesting in Western culture. In Western culture, you know what family means? Like my own blood, and that, that's it. But Ohana, even in Polynesian culture, yes, it does mean kin and blood, but there's room. They've given room for Ohana to even mean, to give room for even those who are adopted, who are Hanai. And we've become so narrow, some of us, not all of you, but some of us have become narrow to think that our family is our family and that's it. And we have too small of a view of God God's glorious plan for the family. We forget God's promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All families, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. All of us. See, Jesus is is revealing to us through the story there are relationships deeper than earthly ties. There is one body, and we are all members of that one body. One family, many members, one body, many parts to that body. Which is interesting because Proverbs 18.24 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't that interesting? A friend who sticks closer than a brother. Our ties as a redeemed ohana is rooted in eternity past. Now maybe you're thinking, all right, good. But the church hasn't been that for me. We have a long ways to grow. We need to learn how to love as Christ has greatly loved us. You're right. Amen. But we don't walk out on each other. We don't quit on one another. We love one another. No one is left behind. No one is forsaken. We don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. Why? Because we are Ohana. Because Jesus never quits on us. We don't have to quit on one another. We can grow and love loving one another. See, family, ohana, is the commitment to love when we have issues. I mean, think about it. There are things that your uncle has said to you that had it been anyone else, you would never talk to him again. But because it's your uncle, you got to honor and respect your uncle, right? You put up, you tolerate. 
I'm your crazy uncle, yo. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we tolerate one another. We fail one another. We don't perfectly love one another as we should, but guess what? We're family. And Christ has committed to love us unfailingly, and so we should love one another through thick and through thin. Part of God's design for the family is that our individual families would be woven together into the greater family of God. And the commitment and love we have for our personal families should be reflected in the love that we have for each other. Because we were not created to be in isolation. We were made for community. We were made for family. A family that is only made possible by the blood of Jesus. Father God, thank you for this ohana that you have gathered today. That we, from every tongue, every tribe, every race, some flown, some grown, different dialects, different languages, yet all uniquely unified together as one body, as one ohana, because Jesus of what you've accomplished for us. And God, maybe there are those who are here, who are hearing the gospel. They've seen Jesus, what you've made possible through the cross, yet they have not come to believe in you. But Jesus, we believe that you came to seek and save the lost, even though your own people did not receive you. Jesus, you tell us that all who did receive you, who believed in your name, you gave the right to become children of God. And so even as we're praying, as our heads are bowed, as our eyes are closed, maybe that's you. This is not a closed family. You're invited to be a part of this family. The gospel invites you to be part of Jesus' family. You believe on his name. Be made alive by the grace of God. Believe him as your savior and you repent of your sins and you will be his child and he will be your father. And Father, where we as a, as a church, as a people, even where I have failed to love the way you've called us to love, Lord, we repent. Help us to not give into sin and selfishness. May we love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.